Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. As you may have heard, in fact, let me rephrase that, as I really hope you've heard, members of the World Health Organization, the WHO, are voting on an international pandemic treaty and amendments to the international health regulations between May 22nd and May 28th, 2022. I am recording this on Monday, May 23rd, so this is happening as I speak. To sum up, the pandemic treaty would supersede 194 member nations' sovereignty in areas like international vaccine passports and contact tracing, addressing misinformation, disinformation, and too much information, global surveillance and data sharing, and increased WHO powers to declare health emergencies and or potential health emergencies and thus control what you and I can or cannot do during such an emergency. FYI, the two largest funders of the WHO are the United States of America and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Meanwhile, in Davos, Switzerland, Also, as I record this this week, the World Economic Forum is holding its annual meeting to carve up the globe's resources amongst the powers that shouldn't be. Already so far at that meeting, a man named Yuval Noah Hariri, who is listed as a philosopher and historian, but is actually one of the uh, counselors to the man who runs the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. Hariri has said, quote, COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept to legitimize total biometric surveillance. We need to not just monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. Close quote. Right on cue, in a meeting after that, the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Berler, explained that his company has a new technology. It's a pill with a tiny microchip in it that sends wireless signals to relevant quote-unquote authorities when the pharmaceutical has been properly digested. Berla said, imagine the compliance. So if neither the WHO treaty or the World Economic Forum meeting at Davos is on your personal radar, if the idea of bowing down to unelected technocrats controlling virtually every aspect of your life doesn't send a chill down your spine, yeah, you should go back to scrolling news updates about fabricated wars in Ukraine, allegedly leaked Supreme Court memos, baby formula, and monkeypox. I'll be right back with my interview with journalist Paul Kudinek right after this short break. And I'm back with Paul Kudinek. Paul, welcome to Post Woke. Hello, thank you. Glad I, to be here. I appreciate you being here. Um, I'm going to ask you, instead of me reading an introduction, um, what would you think is important for me and the listeners to know about you as we begin this conversation? Well, I'm, um, I'm a journalist and writer with a, uh, a political position, which is very much against uh, 
everything that's happening at the moment. Uh, that's to say, the Great Reset, to put it uh, to put it broadly. Okay. Um, I'm uh, I run a website called Winter Oak, and over the last couple of years, we've we've uh, we've been featuring a lot of articles criticizing this whole uh, COVID agenda and uh, analyzing what's going on behind the scenes and trying to make some sense of it and supporting the, uh, the, the general resistance which has been uh, breaking out all over the place against it. Okay, that sounds good. I'm going I'm to ask you at, at the end to, to give us more information about the website and I will include it in the show notes of the podcast so people can find you afterwards. But um, I'd like you to just dig in. I mean, when we, you and I exchanged a couple of emails, you mentioned that um, I said, you know, we were saying, what topics could we talk about? You specifically said, I'd like to talk about, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said, I'd like to talk about the failure of the left to respond to the lockdowns and the pandemic narrative it, it, as one thing, but then you segued into what you just said where an even a larger thing would be the fourth industrial revolution the work the world economic forum the great reset so i'm going to give you the floor here as to where you want to start but i'm definitely interested in those topics that you mentioned in the email yeah good well um yeah the, the left thing really um struck me because i was i was uh, i was i was really shocked by it because uh although i've uh I mean, I, I, I term myself an anarchist. I'm an anarchist. Okay. So I, people regard that as being broadly of the left, though I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily uh, agree with tying myself down to everything else that, that people, people yeah. associate with. Them. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. But um, so, uh, and, and anarchists were involved in the, this general betrayal that I saw on the left. And that was what shocked me, just on a personal level, the people that I, I had been... Uh, campaigning alongside people that I would you know even call per personal friends suddenly turned into something which I didn't understand at all suddenly turned into apologists for the state and uh, and for the in fact for the state and for the corporate agenda Indeed. that was uh, was being converged with the state and um which is which was which I just found absolutely staggering because it's it went against everything they were supposed to believe in, and uh, especially if you're an anarchist, I mean, you can sort of see how a, a sort of a authoritarian communist could easily slip into the rhetoric yes. that you have to you have to do what the authorities say for the common good, you know, surrender your individuality. But for anarchists, so-called self-defined anarchists, to start saying the same thing, it just makes no sense at all because anarchism has always been based on the the idea that personal freedom and collective freedom are the same thing you know that people can't be an individual can't be free if he doesn't live in a free society and a society can't be free if all the individuals in that society aren't aren't free as well mm -hmm. so um so there was a, a serious contradiction there which uh which really took me aback in the opening months of uh, of, of covid so let me let me interrupt you for a sec. So mm. I'm speaking to you from France right now. So when you're talking about people that you consider to be personal friends and so on, are you speaking of a specific geographical area as to the anarchists that you worked alongside of, or is this more in a global sense of people that you've interacted with via the internet everywhere? Um, well, both. No, both actually. But I, I mean, I was involved in the in the anarchist movement. For what it is uh, in uh, in in England before I came to France and still have 
still was still in contact, was still working with people there. So there were personal contacts and, and also personal contacts here, here in France. But, but also on top of that, it was a, it was something that was happening on the you know on the internet as well. I could see you could see the same. That was one of the odd things. You could see the same opinions being voiced, yeah. very strange opinions being voiced by the by anarchists everywhere, as if by some magical magical transformation. Yeah. They'd all been changed into something else. Yeah. I could I could speak from my own personal example. I'm I'm in New York City. I've been here my whole life, and I've been involved in a wide variety of movements that would qualify as left per se. And I've certainly been a, a, an avid fellow traveler with, with the anarchists that I've known. And the interesting thing to me is with all the different anarchists I've known, um, this is anecdotal, of course, one of the hardest things was to get any group of anarchists to agree on anything. And then suddenly it mm -hmm. seems like uh, Tony Fauci and the World Health Organization solved that problem and got a whole bunch of anarchists to agree rather easily with, with uh, like you said, marching almost in lockstep and using the same language. It was utterly disconcerting. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, so how, um, what, how would, what would you, like, your, what's your opinion as to what, what's behind this betrayal? Well, uh, that's the question. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I can see several layers, several levels. Please, please feel free. Well, uh, there, there was a sort of, there was a sort of ideological slide which I've identified that I think has been going on for uh, twenty years or so, um, maybe since around the time of nine eleven, which obviously would have been a, an even more significant uh, moment in in your life in New York than it was for yes. elsewhere in the world. But there was a I noticed that the the emphasis of, of of anarchists seemed to be drifting away from actually opposing the system, and rather to be uh, demanding certain sp very specific and quite narrow rights of people within the system. You know, this whole sort of um, like the intersectionality thing, the, you mm -hmm. know, the, the em emphasis on minorities and um, combating discrimination against minorities, which I'm I'm not against that. But it sort of was, it was sort of taking the place of what I would see as a more fundamental struggle against the power itself, you know. Um, so that was whether that was uh, just. I mean, the question is whether that ideological change happened naturally, organically, just because of the influence of, you know, academia or the media or whatever, or whether this was something that was seeded deliberately in order to. Um, in order to undermine what had been a very powerful anti-globalization movement, the, uh, you know, up until 2001 or so, um, so that it wasn't an anti-globalization movement at all. It was, um, it was a sort of uh, reforming the global system from within type of mm. ideology, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. It, correct me if if I let me know if I have this correctly. It's it's um, to put it in different terms. I can remember 10 years past where you're describing when Occupy Wall Street hit New York and a lot of anarchists uh, aligned themselves with much of what was going on in Zuccotti Park. But simultaneously, there was this shift to what might be called identity politics, where um, you, yeah. you, it was like a thought policing where you had you had to speak a certain way and use certain words and believe certain things. Otherwise, you were just considered 
part of them, the enemy. And I did see, I did see my own personal experience where some anarchists walked away from that, as as you're describing, where it's like, no, you're missing the larger point here. And others um, pretty quickly went into that mindset, which then just took off from there as to what today would be called woke. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's well. That's I agree with that. Yeah, and um, yeah, it has accelerated. It did accelerate quite a lot over the last few years. I think just before COVID, that there was a sort of younger generation of um, of uh, so-called anarchists coming in who were trying to impose some very very strange and rigid ideas on the uh, on the larger media. You know all this stuff about. Well, yeah, I mean, everything is woke. I don't need to go through explaining what woke is. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, and then also I've noticed, well, since, so since, uh, since COVID, I started looking at some of the, some of the background behind some of these groups. I looked at some of the groups that were, that were parroting the, the, the official agenda and discovered that there are, in fact, there are, in fact, funding links. Uh, between between these groups, in fact, one, between a group, one of the groups involved was, was something I was I was part of actually, and I, I, I just happened to stumble across an old email that I'd received that mentioned um, mentioned some funding that they'd been receiving. I mean, wow. I knew these knew these groups got funding, but I'd, I'd I'd been told that well, you know, yes, yeah, these people, there's, there's sort of people like us who happen to have inherited some money and they you know they're keen to to help the cause you know they want to put the money back into the cause oh fair enough you know if there's if someone wants to give us money to the anarchists <laughs> so i remember telling my mentioning it to my mum at one point and she said what that's just ridiculous what, what people how <laughs> no, i don't know so that's the way it works but you know i didn't look at it too carefully at the time and later i went back and Found that there were these uh, there were these organisations. One of which is called the um, the Edge Fund, and another one is the Gorilla Foundation. Okay. And uh, when you when, when I went through uh, actually the, the, their sites, you know their websites and all their various reports and documents and lists of you know people they were funding and who was who they were connected with and and another another uh, media that, that that mentioned them. I found that they were actually very closely tied in with what is with the impact investment scene, which is this, I don't, you know, social impact investment. It's the new market for for yeah. capitalism, uh, and, and that you know, and, and intersectionality is very much part of that. They've been encouraging that, and it's all to do with breaking down these categories of social uh, social impact investment, so uh, so they can make money out of it. But I won't go too much into that perhaps here but it's yeah but it's okay it's a money-making scheme but they're hiding behind uh, this language this woke language and so linked in with the un sustainable development goals and so on and they're using effectively using these left fake left groups i would call them as a, as a sort of marketing agents or sort of publicity indeed publicity people for their for their scheme well, uh, as, as you mentioned that, I, I can't help but think in a week we're in June, which is globally it's Pride Month, and every Pride Month, every corporation lines up to to, to rainbow with every bit of advertising they do. And I've had my share of, of um, 
conflicts with people saying, you know, this isn't about representation, it's about marketing. And so it, what you're describing makes perfect sense in that is if you're trying to influence and reach a certain audience, it's like as if you put on their costume to market to them. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, and it, it's even worse, actually, because even the um, – even the, uh, the the sort of dissident side of the, of the left, you know, the actual wanting to change things, the uh, revolutionary side, is, is is being somehow absorbed by these uh, by these by these financial networks. Oh, um, they use the word systemic change quite a lot. Hmm. And uh, the W the world WF World Economic Forum, which is meeting now at Davos, uses uses that that phrase, I think. And then this Guerrilla Foundation uses it and um the, recently just the other day actually there were i had a brief exchange on uh, social media which involved ad busters uh, and uh, and they used the word systemic change wow and i immediately what a, what a coincidence <laughs> yeah funny isn't it but why would you it's not, it's not a phrase that trips off the tongue is it it's not, not funny, exactly no that <laughs> is not, 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 a, not a, a catchphrase that you'd expect in a TV commercial, but when you when you connect it to all the groups you're talking about, and even the word systemic, which has become it ha, it has become a buzzword in the U.S. in terms of discussing systemic racism. It seems like a lot of work, people are suddenly saying systemic that never said that word before. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously people. If you use that, you've been exposed to that language. Somehow. Wow. So interesting. Mm. <laughs> Quite unnerving. So, so what what led from there is more than two years of the left um, betraying the vast majority. I mean, any branch of the left. It could be it could be what we consider to be the radical left, all the way to the liberal left, in terms mm. of them abandoning and betraying so many of the stances they claim to believe in. But at the same time, as you touched on earlier. Um, the, the pandemic is one thing which seems to be sort of like an acute symptom of what's going on, but the chronic underlying sim symptom is this um, World Economic Forum, this great reset, this plan for a cashless digital social credit society. And from your experience, do you have any, have you felt any progress or luck in interacting with people on the left, anarchists or otherwise, in discussing this? This dare I say systemic problem? <laughs> no, you don't use that word. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've over to start with. Um, I felt very much on my own. You know, like we all did. I think if you know, we've, if the people around you, you, you around you aren't uh, don't see things at all the same way as you do. It's quite. Um, that's quite a shock to the to uh, to the system. Oh no! I've to use it. <laughs> We're all infected now. Um, gradually, yeah, gradually, though, happily, I've been in touch with some people. Some people have got in touch, and I've got in touch with them. There's particularly, um, in fact, that was the the link which uh, got got me in touch with you was Nevermore Media, who uh, who are some um, fellow-minded anarchists uh, based uh, on your side of the Atlantic. Okay. Mostly, there are there are, there are some people uh, in Europe as well, it's, which is a which is an, a Nevermore is an attempt to bring together you know, what, what what we call real anarchists, you know, the ones who have not been affected by this uh, this this strange mind rotting disease, <laughs> and um, 
And uh, yeah, no, I mean, well, I suppose it's the same for everybody. On a personal basis, I've sort of uh, managed to find some people that agree with me where I live. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, a, I've sort of coming, I feel we've come through the worst and the, the worst and that we've, we've um, sorted the sheep from the goat, as it were, and know who to avoid in, in, in any case. And I'm hoping that we, you know, together with other people who are not necessarily anarchists, because I think that what the resistance we're going to need is going to be uh, very broad-based and we can't afford to be sectarian and narrow-minded about it. But uh, I think we need, there's signs that there is there's, there is a, a renewed resistance shaping up after the uh, ideological uh, upheaval that we've experienced over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Would you feel comfortable talking a little bit more about those signs and about what would you imagine this broad-based movement doing in particular uh, uh, with the Great Reset and so on, but just in general? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the first, um, well, the first, ba the barrier, to, the barrier to this uh, new alliance of resistance is often not so much ideological as terminological. It's, it's a language, it's a language barrier because people, after somebody who comes from, um, say, the libertarian right, so for them, the the uh, the the enemy is uh, is communism. Mm. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm no, I'm an enthusiast for uh, for state, you know, Russian Soviet-style communism, but you know, but for them that is the number one evil. So when they look at what's happening with the Great Reset, they call it communism. And I spent months just, just arguing with this every time somebody <laughs> said communism. No, it's not. It's fascism. You know, it's capitalism. It's it's not communism. I mean, you know. But, you know, ultimately they're talking about the same thing as me. They're talking about something they don't like, which I don't like. And I think, we, you know, we need to get beyond those, those labels. And, uh, you know, so, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to try and I'm trying to use a more, a different language and not, not to just to fall in the same, uh, the same habits as I did before this, this moment, because I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you're wearing a badge of, uh, political allegiance when you use a certain terminology and I hear, uh, I hear you let me just cut I feel your pain when when I when I realized that my traditional comrades weren't in line with me of how I saw the pandemic and the lockdowns I found myself even on social media connecting with people that perhaps in the past I wouldn't even Never mind whether I would have connected with them. I wouldn't even had an opportunity to cross paths with them. But people began to see the stuff I was writing and and connecting with me. And I saw the same thing, this very odd use of the word communism, where I would ask people that I know politely, I would be like, is it possible they don't know what communism is? And I don't mean that in a condescending way, but it seems to me to be counterproductive to call this communism. And I still see it. And I admire you for being able to say, like, all right, I can't get hung up on the word. I just have to find a different bridge with which to connect to these potential allies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it is a yeah. It is. It is a difficult chasm. With it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, but, but I think that there is a. That nevertheless, there is an underlying agreement with. I mean, you know. They're not necessarily uh, very right, very right-wing people. All of these people I'm talking about, you know, there are there are liberals. I've been having um, 
you know, I find myself agreeing with liberals. Well, I've always, you know, I've always sort of been quite sort of sneering about liberals. You yeah. know, to me, liberalism is supporting the system. But no, there are, there are actually people who call themselves liberals who believe in who believe in political freedom and individual freedom and justice and democracy and wow. you know, and, yeah, maybe. <laughs> who knew? <you> know. <laughs> well, yeah, they think, I don't know where they've been hiding over the years, but they are. They are. They, they seem to be there. Or they, they've attached themselves to that word, and so I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to turn my back on anybody just because of a word. I would turn my back on them if, they, if it turned out that they believed in things that I fundamentally don't agree with. But, you know, but anyway, so I think that there is an agreement on what we don't like. That's the easy bit, really. I'm not liking, not liking the Great, Great, Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and the WF and the IMF and the World Bank and, and the WHO and Bill Gates and all the rest of it. But, the, but there's, all, there's this sort of more difficult or more challenging area of saying what do we do want but what i'm finding quite encouraging is that there is um i'm hearing a general message that people want um decentralization democracy um you know a, a sort of return to a more healthier way of living perhaps a more traditional way of living closer to the land and um you know, whereas while there is still a lot of um, understandable um, scepticism about uh, sort of the official green ecology agenda, because that's been totally hijacked by, mm -hmm. by the same interests, of course, there's still a sort of, um, you know, I'm finding there is a sort of core belief there that I can identify that is, um, hasn't really formed itself into uh, something quite entirely consistent and, and real that could be identified as being a movement but i I, can, I, you know, I like to think i can i can feel it shaping up in the zeitgeist as the the, the resistance the resistance to transhumanism and and to the, the, their, their nightmarish world of um, you know as you, as you said earlier of total surveillance and and uh nanotechnology injections and brain control and all the rest yeah. of that delusive delusive ideas that they're trying to hoist upon us um, it's fascinating what you said because i also have um encountered people that um might be considered conservative but they're very but they're very caught up in not caught up i shouldn't phrase it that way they're very committed to concepts like autonomy and sovereignty personal autonomy and sovereignty and there, it just goes against everything they believe in to have something like a vaccine passport. And I agree with you. I think I think it's wonderful that you're you're picking these. You're recognizing these commonalities without automatically dismissing the source until you've learned more. As you said, if you find somebody that's fundamentally opposed to where you stand, then you have a decision to make. But I agree with, th there was a time we're talking about going back to the land was sort of a hippie ideal, which then would have pushed you in the direction of being maybe labeled a communist, ironically. And now those people are saying, no, 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 I don't want the communists at the WEF telling me I can't go back to the land. And there's times where I'm kind of puzzled and I kind of tilt my head like a dog and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure I understand the language, but I definitely understand the sentiment. And so keep talking. I'm, I'm all ears here. And I, I, I'm very excited to hear you talking about that also. And as a writer, I'm assuming that you're doing a fair amount of your own work related to these topics. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, 
Well, the, the, my last book was is called the the Withway, my most recent book. Uh, which the Withway is um, obviously it's a it's a word I made up, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but it's uh, it's trying to describe that's it's an attempt to describe the positive uh, direction in which our society could take uh, once we have uh, well, you know assuming that we're going to see off the uh, this this great reset attempt to uh, enslave us forever. Um, and uh, I'm talking there about the, the need to, to reconnect with our withness, which isn't a word I made up. That existed already, withness. Okay. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> on various levels of uh, on various levels, such as our, you know, which is our connection, our sort of symbiosis with you know, the place we live, the landscape, how that affects us, and the climate affects us, and we affect the, the we affect the landscape around us. And, our connection to the people we live with, obviously, and the need to um, cooperate with them, you know, which is one of the, uh, which is the, the anarchist um, fundamental idea of uh, mutual aid and cooperation, solidarity. And, no, you know, our connection to nature, the fact that we're, we're all, we're part of nature. It's not, an, it's not a commodity or an object. It's, it's, it's us, actually. In fact, it's just the, the living entity of which we are, we're each just a very small part. And um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, one of the one, I suppose the, regarding our conversation about conservatives, that's perhaps the the rele relevant part of the book in that respect is that I write about the uh, this idea that we might have had in the in the past, the, the sort of Confucian idea in, in in China, for example, of a a stable society of a natural of a natural order, and, you know, wanting to keep things as they are. Because it works, and not wanting any change that would uh, upset this, this the, the Tao, or well, it wouldn't be Tao if it was Confucian, I suppose. But affect that this natural, this natural equilibrium, mm -hmm. and how um, because we've now lost that natural harmony. If you are somebody who seeks that, you can't be a, a conservative anymore in the sense of not wanting things to change, because things have got to change to get us back on the right road, on the right, on on the with way, back into the natural harmony. So, so in that way, there's a, there's a strange convergence between people who are naturally conservative and just want things to, you know, to, to be fine and chug along and be stable and cohesive, and be, and between the the revolutionary stance of wanting to destroy the the uh, the dominant bad system mm. because it's preventing us from, from from having that life and that world. Oh, that's a fascinating uh, intersection. I, oh, I just used that word, but um, I'm. <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I do find myself, I can only speak anecdotally, that when I'm interacting with someone who seems to be of the conservative ilk, that that is, that is a um, commonality be between myself and them where there is this awareness that, that um, as you phrase it, like we just can't, it's not stable and we can't keep things as they are because that's what these powers that shouldn't be are exploiting. Perhaps our, they, the, the WEF knows that in general as, as a collective humans just kind of want things to be just 
can we just keep things stable and not rattle, you know, rock the boat so much? And so they kind of exploit that with this very slow in incremental changes, one little inch at a time that we barely notice them. But this, the pandemic flipped that where they, they went from incremental to, to, uh, to a quantum leap. And a lot of people simultaneously said, whoa, 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 what, what are you trying to pull off here? And I find myself watching and being part of connecting with people who I never would have met three years ago. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 that's one of the odd things. I've, I've been trying to work out why, why didn't they just carry on? If they wanted, if the you know, WF and so on wanted this transhumanist world, why didn't they just carry on advancing it inch by inch? Because they would have got there in the end, wouldn't they? As you say, people- It seems like it. Really, but, I think, but maybe they, you know, but, but that shows a sort of a weakness in their position. But they were obviously too impatient. It wasn't going fast enough. You know, they were, oh, there was a bit, there's people, yeah, there'd been a lot of resistance here to small changes in, in that direction. Like these sort of smart meters, smart electricity meters, you know, that are, I don't know if you've got them already. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah, but they've been trying to roll them out in France. Uh, where I live now, over the last few years, and there was a there's a huge grassroots movement uh, cropped up to, against this. With a, you know every every village, every town, at these, particularly wow. in rural areas, I think, and people were blocking the electricity men when they came to install the meters. And, you know, and the local mayors were declaring that they wouldn't have them here, and you know, and there was, this, and this was obviously very frustrating for the for, for the ruling authorities. And you know, I wonder if it's that sort of you know that sort of luddite reaction that was yeah. up, that, that frustrated them to the point they said, "Right, you know, we're going to go for it now. We're just going to we're going to declare a global emergency and impose all of this on them, whether they like it or not." You know, and as you said, that shows quite a weakness because that, like, if you wanted to judge that in military strategy, it's not very sound. It's not like like if, if, if there's that incremental change can work, but as you pointed out it can still provoke um, resistance. I'm curious, how did it play out near you where the, the smart meters were? And was it defeated anywhere? Where did, did, the, did the electric companies or gas companies had to keep things as they were? What was the, what's currently the, the status of that? Currently the status is that uh, a lot of people, have, uh, well, me included, have refused. And they've, um, they've, not, they've not followed through on imposing it. So far, on the on the on the refuse the, the refuseniks, they did uh, they sort of backed off at a point. Fantastic! Uh, that's 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 well, a, a wonderful um, note of of optimism and inspiration to to swing into us. Like sort of getting close to wrapping up here, because I did want to ask you to 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 um, give people something to hold on to. If you like, you're speaking to an audience now. Like what? What would you want to say to someone as to alerting them as to what's happening, particularly not just the pandemic, but then the whole reset and so on? What would you what would you really want to alert a group of people to? And secondly, how would you when they say when someone might hear that and be, wow, I'm not even I've never heard of Klaus Schwab till right now. Um, what what can I do? What can one person do? What can one town do? Um, do you have any input that you feel would be useful at this point where we are in history to um, provoke, inspire, inform people as to how much power they do have and perhaps don't realize it? 
Yeah, um, I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the power of the authorities is is based on a, an illusion. It's based on um, it's based on puffing themselves up in the media and uh, presenting themselves as somehow all all conquering and all powerful. And it's not necessarily the case. They, uh, I mean, if they if they were, why are they so frightened? People should ask themselves. Why are they so frightened of people mm. expressing views that they don't approve of? Why do they try and censor websites and opinions? And uh, why do they have this, this stuff about misinformation, this hysteria about misinformation, disinformation? And it's because they know. It's because they know they know they're lying. They know it's it's false, and their whole language is false. It always it always has been. It's just. They know that, and so they and they know that people can see through it. I think they, that, you know, if, if if we could see it from their position, we we would we would we would see the world very differently. We'd see that that they know they're vastly outnumbered, and that there are people out there who they can't silence, they can't control, and uh, they're they're probably very frightened that their whole house of cards is going to come collapsing around them. And we can very quickly reach a, a, a crucial um, turning point, I think, if uh, simply through seeing through the language. I think that's the first thing. This is why you know we try, me and others, try and try and communicate the the real meaning behind all the all the verbiage and the, and the propaganda that's that's being chucked out there. So um, yeah, and and ultimately on a, on a physical level, we are, we are, our actual physical existence remains real and our contacts with other people remain real regardless of all the narratives being spun on the on the global media you know i think we have to at the same time as seeing through their lives we have to find people around us and construct real lives you know go back to growing our own food and creating systems of uh, of uh, mutual aid and cooperation so that we, we become independent we need to pull back and become independent and it's going to be very difficult for them to reach everyone in the world to, 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 to swallow us all up into their system if we if we if we have that if we have that independent stance uh, well let me just first say thank you for that answer because it it seems like a very um grounded and practical way to explain to people how much a combination of things how much power we have how much less power those people allegedly in charge have and they're and how aware they are of that dynamic and how a major shift can occur is when we're also aware of that dynamic that we have the numbers we have the know-how and we have proven all throughout history that we can be independent and autonomous and like you said grow your own food food and and create face-to-face -face friendships where you know they tried for two years to, to separate people ironically they use a at least in the u.s we were constantly being told um we're all in this together which just sounded just absurd <laughs> at the time but then you could make an argument that perhaps not all of us are in together because there is a class of people that are looking to dominate the rest but the vast majority of humans are all in this together and it, like the, your your noble effort to to 
sort of dissect and decode the the verbiage, as you put it, is, is so important because the more people understand what's being imposed upon them, the more power then they have to say, no, 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 now I get what you're doing. And the answer is no, just like the smart meters in your town. And, and I feel like it sounds, it could sound like a simplistic answer, but maybe a simplistic answer is exactly the ideal starting point here because um, we have this we have the power to do this and to connect. And I know from my knowledge of anarchism, it's like the, the, the true anarchists have been talking about this for centuries. Like this is, mm. this, you know, this is how it could be. And it would be ironic and quite wonderful if, if, uh, if many of these tenets ended up becoming the norm just based on circumstances where people just responded almost reflexively just as humans and without without labeling their actions as a certain ideology ended up doing something that might be exactly what the anarchists would have suggested they did yeah yeah we don't need to we don't need we don't need the label it's the <laughs> yeah yeah I, I concur so all right before we wrap up i i do I, I'm going to ask you to email me all the relevant links so I can include them. But please tell the listeners again um, that you're, you're, um, where you write, uh, where, where they can get your books, and where they can learn more about you and, and uh, connect with you and perhaps follow your work. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, the, um, the main site is uh, Winter Oak, which is winteroak.org.uk. Okay. Uh, and there, um, you can get all my books there. There's, uh, there are downloadable as free PDFs, in fact. Wow. Okay. And uh, because you know the point is the point is just to get get stuff out there, you know. And uh, there's also yeah. Nevermore Nevermore yeah. Media Nevermore have published a load of my stuff. Okay, so I will. I'll include if you would. If you would, um, when we wrap up, if you would email me those links again, so I can mm -hmm. include them in the show notes, so that people could, upon finishing listening to you speak, they could immediately click and learn more about you, and hopefully download some of the books and and uh, and get a deeper context and nuance of far more than you could do in a thirty-minute interview as to what you information you have to share that could be that really could be life-changing because we are in a time period where we need to um, we need to do some serious self-education, some detaching from the propaganda system, and to make some decisions for ourselves individually and within our communities of whatever size that might be. Yes, absolutely, I agree. Okay, anything else you'd like to say in closing, Paul? No, just thanks very much for inviting me on your show. Thank you. I, I appreciate you being here, and I really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope we can stay in touch. Yeah, me too. <laughs> thanks. Okay. I'll be back with my story of the week right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here asking you to become a paid subscriber to Postwoke. This is my Substack where I produce daily content, uh, articles, posts, and podcasts, and some of it is exclusively for paid subscribers, and also paid subscribers are the ones who are able to comment on such posts. So for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you get access to all of this, and you also are offering essential support for a project that I want to keep going and growing. So I thank you in advance for that. 
In the meantime, please feel free to peruse the show notes to find a link for the project that I've been running for nearly six years, a one-man mission to help homeless women on the streets of New York City. Also in the show notes, you will find a link to purchase a really cool post-woke t-shirt to let the world know what your favorite podcast is. And one more thing in the show notes is a link to my NFT photography collection in case you're interested in purchasing a non-fungible token. So I thank you for your time and for checking out all those links. And please, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. It makes a huge difference. I thank you in advance. And let's get back to the show. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. This week's story focuses on a different kind of left. You see, well before cable TV and the internet turned kickboxing into a bloody spectacle called MMA, I trained at Astoria's City Star Kickboxing Gym with some contenders and some champions. I also helped Enrique the owner, put out a pretty damn good kickboxing newsletter. But like everyone else, I had to prove myself in the ring. Early on, I got matched to spar with a guy who was well-liked, but I didn't think he was much of a fighter, a dude named Phil. Insulted to be regarded in Phil's class, within 30 seconds, I put him down with, wait for it, a left hook that bloodied his nose. I took a second to gaze at my gloved left hand in wonder while Phil tried to struggle to his feet. He failed. A good moment in that 21-year-old macho sort of way. In the future, Enrique and his team were careful to match me with much better and much more experienced fighters. City Star eventually closed when Enrique went off to fight in El Salvador, but I was never sure for which side. I think of my City Star days whenever I pass by where it used to be. I'm not sure whatever happened to Phil, but if he's still alive and literally and figuratively kicking, I'd tell him what I always tell you. Keep your guard up. Everybody was Kung Fu 